0: So um, I chose that song we'll probably sing that uh, quite a bit here during Advent, and this is the first Sunday of Advent, first Sunday of the new church year. Uh, it is a beginning, and uh, it's also an ending, right? My, my last series here at City Press, and, and for this like last like thing, uh, I wanted to leave you with blessing. And so that's what this series is about, and we're only going to be for six weeks in Numbers chapter 6. Now, that's not exactly true, but that is what we're going to read each and every week together, what we just sang. Um, And I want uh, you to be blessed. So hear God's word. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, both now and forever. this is a blessing it's a it's a prayer, right it's a hope um, and so we're going to be considering this blessing um, and this is one of the things that I've consistently done i'm not a, I'm not the most consistent parent, um, but one way I've been consistent in their life is that I've blessed them. It started when Jed was. A baby, and the things that I would pray most frequently over their heads, I would hold them, I put my hand on their head, and I would bless them with these words. Every night, deacon, he asked for a prayer and a blessing. Um, This is the touching of the head, sweet heads with hands, pouring forth words, words leaving them to sleep with blessing. And we're going to end to get to this together today, thinking about God, about his blessing. Um, The inspiration for this, much of this comes from a book by Michael Glodo, The Lord Bless You and Keep You. Um, And so let's pray. God, we pray that you would help us as we uh, approach your scripture and this text and several others this morning be with us. Help us to see and hear that one of the ways you turn your face towards us is through your word. And I pray that we would respond and turn our face towards your face as you teach us, lead us. So we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the writer, had a favorite book. It wasn't Narnia, the Four Loves, the Weight of Glory. It wasn't any of his science fiction series. It was the book Till We Have Faces. Now, this book is a—it's a theodicy, which means uh, Lewis is writing this book as an accusation against the gods, and the accusation is told by this queen named Orwell, Orwell. Uh And for Orel's whole life, uh, she covered her face. It, it was veiled hidden. You didn't see her smiles. You didn't see her frowns. You, you didn't see her tears. You, you didn't even see her visible imperfections. You, you, you didn't see her, her vulnerabilities. Like she was a mystery. Now, this veil was started in shame. Her father, the king, covered her face because in his mind, she had this ugly, curd face. But that shame and that veil became powerful. Lewis writes, As years passed, and there were fewer in the city who remembered my face, the wildest stories got on about what the veil hid. Some said that it was a a frightful, beyond endurance, a a pig's, a, a bear's face, a cat's face, an elephant's face. The best story was that I had no face at all. If you stripped off my veil... You would just find emptiness. But a, 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 another sort said that I wore a veil because I was of a beauty so dazzling that if I let it be seen, all men in the world would run mad or else their God was jealous of my beauty and promised to blast me if I went bareface. The upshot of all this nonsense was that I became something very mysterious and very awful. You see the power, like the power of the mystery to be like a god is what she describes herself as. But also, it's her humanity. Like the, the face, something that made her who she was, covered, hidden, faces. Have you thought about your face? I mean, you look at it every day. Or most every day, you walk by a mirror, you catch a reflection. You get up in the morning and you brush your teeth, looking into a mirror. You you catch yourself in the rearview mirror of your car, a window. You, your day is spent peering at the faces of other people, the eyes of your spouse the mouths of your children. Over and over again, you stare at them sometimes because you know this moment will pass. It's one of the sweet things about having infants around is you can just stare at their face. You you, you pass strangers' faces and friends and coworkers and neighbors' faces. We all have them. Have you thought about what they're for? More than any other thing, the face is what we associate with another person. Like, have you seen, like, the, the software that can, you know, now engineer faces to such a degree that, that if you looked on a screen or you would think that they were, they were that person and it could just be a contrived image? I think of Mission Impossible... Tom Cruise rips off his face or the face of another person or face off. That's a good one. Your face is a lot of like who you are, your your eyes, your your nose, your mouth, your ears. The eyes are the window of the soul, but the eyes really only express six to seven emotions. It's the the mouth and the soft tissue around the the mouth that expresses even more. It, your face is revealing. Your face hides. Your, your face can be friendly. It can be hostile. And one of the great difficulties, right, during pandemic was the covering of faces, right? We all have faces. What do you think about yours? Maybe you can't stop thinking about it because uh, you have a little narcissus in you. Every mirror, every selfie, every picture of your face makes you think about your imperfections. You, you dream about changing them. You, you, can, you can kind of look in the mirror, but you have a much more difficult time looking at someone else look at you face to face. There's nothing more intimate. Like even like sexual intimacy, it, it involves faces uncovered. Presence, intimacy. In fact, we've all been in these moments where someone stares at our face too long, and and you feel the intensity of it so much so that you you have to like avert your eyes or not look at them. Like some of us have a hard time talking to someone and looking to looking at them in the face when we talk to them. Right? It's too intimidating. It's too intimate. We all have faces. Now, our text in Numbers gives us a clue. We have faces. Why do we have them? So God can be attuned to them. The, the Numbers text, the ironic blessing, is so that God, you have a face, so God can shine his face upon your face. Turn his head. Give you his presence. Now, God has a face. Now, not exactly like we do, but the Bible says God's face is his visage looking over the world, and God made us with faces. And, and, and we're going to kind of walk through some, some encounters in the before numbers that tell us the story of our face and God's face. Now, the first comes from the book of beginnings, Genesis. Here, uh, when we first hear about face, we, we find Adam and Eve hiding. Now, this happens after they they sin, eat the forbidden fruit that God told them not to eat, like, like a toddler or a preschool who has you know, gone on the floor and eaten the dog food you told them not to touch, and you catch them in the act, and then they cover their eyes, thinking that because they can't see you, you can't see them. That's exactly how it was with Adam and Eve. They went hiding, we're told, from the face of God, thinking that they could hide from the face of God by hiding. We're told in Genesis 3.8, they hid their faces from God's face. Genesis tells us God has a face. He walks. It's anthropomorphic language. It's language used by humans groping to understand our creator. God's face we're told in Genesis, sees us, and by, and by being seen by God, it, it, it touches on the very purpose we have in the world. We, we were created to image our creator, to reflect like a mirror his glory, just like a mirror can only reflect light in the presence of that light, to made, be made in God's image is then to reflect his image in his world. And it requires, like light for the mirror, him, his face. His presence. And that's the way the Bible talks about God in his presence. That's his presence is his face. We are children of God. This is also what it means to image God. Baby Baylor reflects the image of Heidi and John. She, she may image them each or resemble one more than the other, but that word image is used to describe a relationship. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. We are made for relationship with God. And what is the foundation for relationship? Faces. Faces. Whether faces on a screen, obviously not as good, but you've had to be separated from your loved ones. That's why I love Marco Polo, by the way. When I leave, if you want to like hang out and talk, the best way you're going to talk to me is on Marco Polo. I don't like to talk on the phone. It's not my thing. Marco Polo is my thing. So just remember that. You can get Marco Polo and we can talk. Right? Faces. There's something beautiful about that. But obviously, like when I had a relationship with Danette, it was face. We would... Spend time together and look lovingly and longingly, dreamily, still like we do now. In each other's face. Relationship. Faces attuned to one another. Right? For a child, the first six months of life are vital for a child to find secure attachment. If a baby cries, it may be for a number of reasons. But what that baby is seeking is the security of the face of her parents. Trust that the parent will hear their cries, respond to them and their needs by attuning themselves to them and turning their faces upon them. The child moves through life a three-dimensional creature, right? You're three-dimensional. Right now, you can't see the back of your head. You're three-dimensional. And because you can't see the back of your head, it's... It, it is meant to emphasize that you need other people. Like, you can look at your front side, but it's a lot more difficult to look at your back side, which maybe you're happy about. Our self-knowledge requires others, others who help us learn about ourselves, move through life, observe the effects and non-effects we have in others. You've, you've maybe heard the Louis C.K. thing. Like, Louis C.K., the comedian, not saying anything about him that I like or don't like, but he did say something very profound about our moment, is what screens do to a child is they force a child to like not have to look at someone's face to say mean things. You can go on social media and say something mean about something someone else, and you don't have to look at them in the face to see what your thing said about them does to them. And he says, that's a tragedy. Because kids need to, like, learn. You say something mean to somebody else, you need to see what that does to them by their face, right? Our knowledge requires others, even in that way. Even when we're being mean, we need someone else to look back at us so we know what we did and what we said. It's here where the attachment we felt as infants plays out in our relationship with others, if our parents weren't always there for us, then we assume others won't be. If they were there intermittently, we can struggle with being aloof and independent. If we're, we're struggling under their own weight, like when the weight our parents put on us, unbeknownst to us, when we lock eyes with others who struggle, we, we feel things we don't even know where they're coming from. We'd go afraid of others knowing us or we knowing them. And they're the very people that we need. So we need to be seen and known by God to fully know ourselves. We need to be seen by God. And so God made us with faces and we rebelled. And in that rebellion, we became alienated from God. The, the curses of the fall Serving as painful teachers, but also fueling our longings. Our longings for what? God's face. Relationship with God. Right? You get into a fight with someone you love. What's the result? There's, there's this longing that, that wells up in you. A longing for Restoration. Everything that breaks apart in the fight serves as a teacher that is meant to fuel our longings for restoration. But those same things you fought about also feed what? Our compulsion to hide. That's why when someone confronts you about sin or uh, uh, or mistakes or insensitivity, you and I grow immediately defensive and we cower Because of our needs for approval. And then shame dominates our condition. So much so that human beings have this simultaneous longing and loathing of the face of God. And that's what you see, right? In the story of Adam and Eve, they have a a longing and a loathing of God's face. It's It's a great delight to us and a great horror to us. And so that story moves forward to Cain. Cain's the firstborn. In the world, outside of Eden, his name means I I got a man with the help of the Lord. And true to his namesake, Cain is is fundamentally self-reliant. We see this when Cain and Abel make their offerings. They both brought a portion of what God provided in their respective callings. But we are told Abel made his in faith, and Cain, uh, his was done in a way of like treating God as a token. A way of earning God's favor in the thing through the things that he was giving give, giving to God, and Cain's face, we're told, right in Genesis four, Cain's face looks down towards the earth instead of up towards God. Right, one of the reasons I tell you, lift your eyes to the heavens, stretch out your hands, receive the blessing of the Lord is because our tendency is to be like Cain. God wants your face, but in our self-reliance, in our fear, in our self-justification and sin, our faces go to the ground. Have you ever noticed this, how our hearts can't help but come out on our faces? You can't help but hide. Like Emily's been asking me, like, for months, what's the matter with you? I'm like, I'm, I think I'm hiding everything just fine, right? But she she knew, because she could read it on my face. Cain's jealousy, like that's how God was with Cain. He, he knows, he sees Cain's face turn toward the ground, and that... Th- turns towards the ground, causes Cain to grow in his jealousy, and he commits fratricide. He becomes a wandering fugitive, lamenting from being driven from the the face of the ground and hidden from God's face, we read in Genesis 4.14. He's so grieved by the loss, not of God's presence, but of God's protection. That's why he asked. What does he ask? Behold, you have, you've driven me away from the ground and from your face. I I will be hidden. I'm a fugitive, a wanderer on earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Cain's longing for God, misdirected by a love bent by sin, causes him to meet his longings not in God, but in God's provision and protection. And Cain and his line become driven by self-preservation and self-protection. Lamech, Babel, Lot, all driven by the fear of losing, not God, but the security that God gave them. Seeking to meet their own needs away from God's face. That is the story of us. The story of us is that we are a people that instead of seeking meaning in God's face, we seek it elsewhere. I want you to think about the moon for a second. All right? The moon what? What does the moon do? It doesn't have a light of its own. We only see its face, right? Right? And it reflects the sun. And right there, I want you to not miss this. Like God, in his wisdom and his creation is setting eternity and his story in your hearts through the sun and the moon. A, a face lit up by the sun reflecting that light into the world. Like, that's what we are meant for. But what do we do? We settle for other lights, right? We settle for other lights. Now, this is the story of Israel. The story of Israel is the story of us, right? As they are freed from slavery, wandering in the desert, they come to Mount Sinai. They're given the law. They promise that they will be faithful to God. And Moses goes up on the mountain to meet God face to face, and what happens down below? They, they, they cry out to Aaron, the same one that will be the one that blesses this same people. They cry out to Aaron and say, Aaron, create for us a God who can be before us. We want a God that we can see. We want a face, an actual face, to our God. And so Aaron delivers. He gives them a God they can see, a face. He constructs an idol, a a God to go before them. What do you and I do in our fears and anxieties when we don't think we see God's face? When God's face seems hidden? When you're in the midst of something that's really hard suffering, it feels dark, The, the light of God's face does not seem to be shining upon you, what do you do? What do you do when God seems mysterious, aloof, absent? I mean, what do you do with a friend? What what do you do when a friend seems that way? When your spouse seems that way? A text? A call? A visit? You worry? You scheme? You get angry? You get sad? What about God? We seek to have or demand to have gods who go before us. This world is a, a compound this word here is a compound in uh, Exodus of the, the proposition two and four with the word "face," a God who is before our face. The people of Israel sought a God to walk before their face. We walk here by sight, not by faith. This is why, why god 's blessing is so vital to keep before us what? God's words, God's promises. God's word and God's promises are what reveal God's face. Just like our mouths reveal much of our own faces and our emotions and our life, God's word reveals his face to us. We must remember that God has attached himself to us, promised to be with us, and when we can't see his face, Faith in God's attachment to us is required because the inertia of unbelief is always towards the visible in creation and away from the invisible of our creator God. When Paul says sin is grounded in seeking things from creation that only the creator can give, that is the essence of what we do. And in the wake of this, Moses intercedes for God's people. He appeals to God's attachment to Israel, his his face being turned towards Israel, his promises to them to be their God and for them to be his people. God forgives and provides. And So Moses acts as his intercessor. And we read, thus the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. What does this face to face mean? Because we read later, God says, you cannot see my face, Moses, and live. What is being conveyed is the blessing of intimacy with God. Moses spoke to God in person, in his body. This is the the longing that we all have in our bodies for presence and not absence with God, for presence and not absence with people. People we love live and they die. They move away. Their face becomes dear to us. Our face becomes dear to them. We're created with faces so we can know other faces and be known by their face, their presence. This is what Moses is experiencing in his body with God. Set apart to be with God, to experience his gracious gaze face to face. God says to Moses, and through Moses to God's people, my presence literally... My face will go with you, Israel. My face is turned. It's present. God says to Moses, you have found my favor. I know your name. Do you hear that? You have my favor, Moses. I know your name. That's the very words embedded into the ironic blessing. And so based on that blessing, Moses asked God, please show me your glory. And to this God says, you cannot see my face and live. But Moses, I will put you in a cleft of a rock and I'll put my hand over that rock. And though you can't see my face, I'll lift my hand from that rock and you'll you'll see my backside. The intimacy of this encounter is what sets the stage for the blessing of number six, And also for the glory that comes in Jesus. You see, why we have faces is to see and know the face of God. But like Adam and Eve, in the the fresh glow of creation, we hide our face. Like Cain, we bow our backs, we turn our face down under the futility of thorns and thistles our daily faces become fixed on the dust that will reclaim us. Running from our dustiness and others' dustiness, not turning our faces towards them, but away from them because of their dustiness, we face the futility of life and the shame of death alone. We avert our gaze. Like Cain, we desire protection and provision from God, living in the light of his face, but unwilling to look to God's face, because to do so would require us acknowledging our need, repenting of our self-reliance. And in Moses, we see something akin to what we see in Jesus, that, that God's face is the pearl of great price, the treasure in the face of which the things of the world grow strangely dim. In Moses... And then Jesus, we see most clearly that the primary purpose of our faces is to see and behold God, to have our hearts attuned to him. As he's always attuned to us, Jesus is the confirmation and the guarantee that God has turned his face towards you. In Advent, we remember God came and he will come again. The confirmation and guarantee that God's face is turned towards you is God appearing in the person of Jesus. That God is before, uh, that God has a face. His name is Jesus. Moses' face beheld the glory of God, right? And his face was changed. And yet, The tan of the glory of God faded on his face. And he knew that the people knew. And he was ashamed of the fading glory. And Paul says, hear the beauty of the gospel in this, and why you and I have faces. Therefore, since we have a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Think about your faces, friends. the glory and the shame of them. The temptation to hide. Like when you have this experience with God, you're excited, and then when it fades, you're shamed. But their minds were made dull, for to this day, the same veil remains over the old covenant when it's read, has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Talking about their... Israel but whenever anyone turns to the Lord wedding day the veils taken away Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. And with unveiled faces, when we look to his image, we are being changed from one degree of glory to another degree, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Your face was made to turn to the Lord. Your face was made to be unveiled of its shame, unveiled of its validations, unveiled of its unmet longings, made free by the Spirit to to look full on because of Jesus at the glory of the gospel. That Jesus would come, live, die on a cross, be raised to turn your face towards that in faith when it's easier to turn our face to the other gods that we set before us Transformed. Do you believe you can be transformed from one degree of glory to another to a face that finds its fixation, its unmet longings, right, right? Let me be honest with you here. You all have unmet longings. My temptation when I have unmet longings is to go looking here to have somebody else meet them. And and those things are meant in faith to be turned over to Jesus so that he might meet them. That's what one degree of glory to another looks like. And so the application today is just this. Turn your face towards him. Receive his face. Hold it. Think about the person you love turning... Your face, receiving their love, reflecting their glory, attuned to them, locked eyes with them. How do you do that with God? You turn towards His words, you turn towards His sacraments. This is the visual. This is how much I love you. This is how much I love you. You see those with faith that that's real, and you turn to His words, you rest in them. You hope in them. You bank on them. You find find life in them. When you forget, you you return to them. You turn your face back towards them. God's face dwells in the blessing of his words. His promises are bent around you, around your face. His name is resting on your head, present with him, before him, receiving his presence in turn. Let's pray. God we're thankful for you that you're so like you condescend so much towards us that not only do you give us Christ but you give us these this wine and juice and bread and to say this is this is my body see my body broken for you see my blood poured out for you see in the people around you who you take this with my body my face in my head and my shoulders and my body. So we might believe. So we we might know that your face is turned towards us. And I know for some of us that's really hard because we haven't always had people that have been attuned to us. And we attribute that to you sometimes. And so help us in our weakness to know that you are not such... Because you are God, you are not such a thing. Your face is set like flint towards us. And the promises of the table remind us of that. The words that we sing remind us of that. Your word tells us the promises that are true about us, about what our faces need and what they were created for. We praise you. In Christ's name, amen.